0: Hey everybody, this is Gus G and you're listening to Diary of a Madman, the ultimate Aussie podcast.
1: Welcome back to Diary of the Madman, the ultimate Ozzy Osbourne podcast where we geek out about everything Ozzy and Ozzy related. I'm Josh Crumb. With us as always is Dan Drago. How are we doing, Josh? Doing good, man. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, man. I am still over the moon over our last two weeks. Who would have thought we would have got Gus G, Kathy DiArgenzio, and Kelly Rhodes in the last two weeks?
1: That was stuff before we began the podcast. that We talked about, hey, it would be awesome down the road if we could have guests like this. And we ended up having Gus G on episode six and then Kathy and Kelly on episode seven, I believe it was, not, not counting the trailer. So, like, right. absolutely insane and, and definitely appreciate them for putting their trust in us to deliver their word for them. And, you know, Kathy and Kelly, they don't even do a ton of interviews, honestly. They, they do very few. So I thought that was really cool that they trusted us
0: to do it. Correct. And I have a gut feeling it's going to be the first of many So I'm super excited what the future holds, and, you know, we've been getting some great information, not only about Ozzy and his career, but, you know, Gus and the release of his new record, and, of course, Randy's childhood, talking with Kathy and Kelly.
1: And Randy's Hall of Fame induction, which, I mean, we're all—you can't be an Ozzy fan and not be totally pumped and— excited for a very well deserved prestigious award and induction for Randy Rhodes. That I thought, you know, like I said on the the interview with Kathy, when I saw his name on that list, man, like I just couldn't believe my eyes. I I looked at it four times. I'm like, am I seeing this shit correctly? This says Randy Rhodes on here. Because, you know, you and I have talked a lot before. We've talked on the podcast, I believe, about when's Ozzy gonna get inducted solo into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I never really even considered Randy because they typically I didn't know there was a side man wing. He, you know, and the way the title played out about inspiration and this and that, he was perfect for it. Uh, it's just so exciting, man, to be a part of that and to be able to discuss it with the family and get the insight on how they found out about it and how it's going down. And uh, totally exciting times to be a Randy Rose fan.
0: It really is. And I was aware of the Sideman nomination because being a, a big Elvis fan, my brother is a huge Elvis fan. So I know Scotty Moore and Bill Black and uh, DJ Fontana are all in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as side members. It's a great designation, well-deserved, and a lot of people like that should be more, you know, recommended and celebrated by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because without these guys, Elvis doesn't have that career, and obviously, Ozzy doesn't have his career.
1: 100%. And, you know, even in the Ozzy camp, I mean, looking down the roads, (laughs) down the roads, did you hear
0: (laughs) that? I did, that's good.
1: (laughs) And looking down the road, I mean, even Zach Wilde possibly down the road could win something like that. Zach's inspired, you know, millions of guitar players worldwide for the past 30 years or actually 35 or so uh, and counting. So, I mean, you never know down the road who else may get that that honor. But there's no doubt that that was hand built for Randy Rhodes' Perfect nomination. And we're really excited about it.
0: For sure. I absolutely love to see Bob, Bob Daisley be nominated because I do think he's such an integral part of solo Ozzy. His right hand man really, as much as all of the axemen were, I would love to see Bob get a nod. It's well deserved.
1: Yeah, I think there's no question about that. And I wasn't intending to leave Bob off. I was yeah, just thinking course. more of the I was just thinking more of the popular name that would that people would know. But you know, to be fair, that's an award that isn't always the name people know. So so really Bob could potentially win something like that because I mean his contributions to the world of heavy metal are undeniable. It's absolutely undeniable. That whole Blizzard of Oz lineup was undeniable. But Bob went beyond that with Ozzy all the way up through No More Tears. He had a huge part in all of this. But, you know, the whole Ozzy and the Rock and the Hall of Fame thing, that's something we'll definitely discuss down the road because I know it's something that you and I both definitely have a huge beef with.
0: It is huge. Absolutely. Uh, Big thorn on fam-
1: my side. Big thorn in my side. The fact that it's never hardly even discussed, I, I just don't understand. You got solo artists going in all over the place that have far less of the career Ozzy Osbourne had. And I'll just never understand. But that's a different topic for a different day.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to dig into that a little bit later when we would discuss some of the news that's happening this week because I think it is directly related, Josh, and and we'll go over that a little bit because when we talk a little bit about Ordinary Man, well, let's just start with it. Ordinary Man was verified gold this week by the RIAA, so that means it sold 500,000 copies. Or, yay, yay! Yay! I know, I'm super excited for Ozzy. I mean, this is a huge accomplishment for him. Matter of fact, I was looking earlier... Every single Aussie solo record of originals, I'm not going to count live stuff and I'm not going to count undercover, has gone at least gold except for Scream, which is kind of mind-boggling to me because Scream was done 10 years ago. But for some reason, I just don't think Scream caught on with a lot of the fans where Ordinary Man has seemed to catch on with a lot of fans again. Obviously, he's got Post Malone on it, which doesn't hurt things. But obviously, Blizzard of Oz, five times multi-platinum, No More Tears, four times multi-platinum, but here's the interesting thing. Ozzy, according to RIAA, has now sold solo 29 and a half million copies. Here are some of the people that Ozzy is around here. Pearl Jam, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Willie Nelson, Boston. Bands he has sold more than the Bee Gees, Creedence Clearwater Revival, NSYNC, Nirvana. I mean, these are bands that are absolutely cherished, talked about amongst the greatest of all time. Ozzy is right there in album sales, bigger than most of them, and never mentioned about being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I just don't understand it.
1: And most of those names you mentioned went in first ballot. Like, the minute they were eligible, they were, bam, they're in. Like, Pearl Jam went in, like, instantly.
0: Uh, Agreed. Same with Nirvana. But the fact that he sold more than the Bee Gees, more than Credence, it shocked me to find out that he had sold more than Credence. Barry Manilow, uh, John Mellencamp, more than Frank Sinatra. How about that one?
1: Wow. Yeah, that's totally impressive, and that's that. It does shock me, but it does shock me from a standpoint of like you said, it doesn't get mentioned uh, the way it should, and it's just it's never hardly really even discussed except for in hard rock circles. I think, you know, where Ozzy is already in with Black Sabbath, people kind of forget the solo career. But you know, Ric Flair is in the WWF Hall of Fame as Ric Flair and as a Four Horseman. Exactly. So let's be clear. It, just because Ric Flair's in as a four horseman, they're not going to forget the career that Ric Flair had on his own outside of the horseman. Right. It's the same thing. So, you know, when you look at the Mount Rushmore of hard rock, undeniably, Ozzy Osbourne's on that list. I mean, who who else is as large as Ozzy Osbourne in and not only in the hard rock world, but in the rock and roll world, even from a standpoint of the Osbournes, as much as me and you, you know, bitch at it. It still made him a household name. Grandmothers and kids alike know who Ozzy Osbourne is. And the fact that he is not in the Rockland Hall of Fame is ridiculous. And like I said, it's hardly even discussed. And I'll just I'll never understand it. He's never on the
0: ballot. Yeah, I agree. It's just a complete disrespect. I'm not comparing him to the Beatles, but obviously John and Paul are in both and they deserve to be, of course. But you know, other people, and I'm not sure if they're in, I'll have to do my research. I'll give you another name that should be in, and if he's not already, it's Phil Collins. He should be in twice, once with Genesis and once with uh, Phil Collins' solo. Dave Grohl just went in twice with the Foo Fighters and Nirvana. And if you're telling me that Ozzy isn't at least at that level, that's fucking bullshit. And nothing against Dave Grohl. I love him. I love Nirvana. But give me a break. I mean, if he's in with the Foo Fighters, Ozzy should be in solo.
1: We all love Stevie Nicks. But, I mean, you can't compare her solo career to what Ozzy Osbourne's done for the past 40-plus years. I mean, it's, it's insane to try to compare that. And Stevie Nicks went in, like, last year. So she's great. She deserves it. But it's just, how are these people going in? And, and Ozzy's not really even in the discussion. I, I'll just never understand. So, But it is what it is. And one band that's already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame who we need to discuss, of course, is the Mighty Metallica, who just released the 30th anniversary edition remaster of the Black album. They also did the Blacklist, which was like, 150-plus songs of other people doing the Black album tracks you know in their own styles and genres and stuff which i found very interesting actually uh you have chris stapleton doing nothing else matters totally wicked different versions of those songs but uh did you get a chance to listen to the remaster of the black album i checked it out actually just today
0: yeah i listened to some of it it sounds fantastic i mean you know i remember the day that album came out and running home and being so excited obviously i'd already known enter sandman because that was released before the rest of the record I'll be honest, I was heavily disappointed the first time I heard it because I was still expecting Metallica to be a thrash band at that point. So it took me a little bit to kind of understand it, but obviously it's a fucking brilliant record. You know, once I really sat down and listened to it, there's just so many legendary songs. Clearly one of the best metal records of all time, up there with Back in Black with by ACDC. It's just hit after hit after hit. It's fantastic. I'm glad to see Nothing Else Matters is getting a lot of love. Elton John just called it one of the greatest songs ever written, which I agree. I'm so glad Metallica had the balls to include that on their fifth record. But yeah, I haven't listened to enough of the bonus tracks of the 100 people singing the other songs. It's hard for me to deal covers. We've talked about them before. But the songs I've heard, I've enjoyed. You know, the Ghost one is definitely a little bit different. I actually really like the full beat uh, version of Don't Tread On Me, if you've heard that.
1: Yeah, I have. That one was really good. I think the majority of the Blacklist songs are recorded in your vein like you know if you are volbeat, it wants they want it to sound like a volbeat song and so they're, they're not retreads over and over of the same song they're totally different versions you know and i kind of i did enjoy that the remaster of the actual black album sounds phenomenal i was really blown away at how good it sounds i was checking it out today and it just sounds so good but you know unlike you i did receive that album quickly I remember when I first got it and I listened to it, Sad But True stuck out. And my brother and I were like, oh, that's a that's a, that's a massive hit right there. You know, that's going to be the next single. And, and I can't remember if it was the next single or not. But, of course, it went on to be a massive hit that they still play to this day. But like you said, Nothing Else Matters is one that currently seems to be getting more love than any of them, as it should. And I saw an interview recently, in case the listeners haven't heard it, where James said he had that song and was afraid to present it to the band. Right. And Lars like overheard him playing it or something of like that effect or singing it and was like, what do you got there? And and James was like, ah, oh, you know, it's this kind of slower thing I've been kind of noodling with. And Lars was like, man, that's, that's fucking epic. Like, you, you gotta, you know, we gotta present it to the group and, and work on that. You know, and of course, good thing he did because it definitely is probably the track that put that album over more than anything because it's so different.
0: I agree. And it was, it was Lars and Bob Rock, actually, that really encouraged him to, to work. Obviously, Bob Rock had such an impact on Metallica when they first started getting together. I'm sure a lot of people know they heard Dr. Feelgood and loved the sound of Dr. Feelgood that Bob Rock did, which is why they hunted him out. And they figured if he can get Motley Crue to sound like that, what could he do with Metallica? And they were right. They were a perfect marriage at first. Obviously, it ended in controversy with Saint Anger. And we'll talk about that album someday. But, you know, the Black Album, we're here to celebrate it. I like the deeper tracks because they're not as overplayed songs like don't tread on me, the struggle within through the never uh, yeah. holier than thou all great, great tracks. And I'm a little older than you. So I, I grew up with the thrash Metallica and I, I imagine what album did you really discover them on the black album? Yeah. Okay. That, that's yeah. kind of where I was getting at. So, you know, to me coming from master of puppets to the black album, it was just such a, such a far, change in style it's heavy obviously it's brilliant and i love it but that first initial impact was definitely like whoa this is not metallica the band i love but very quickly it was like oh yeah this is just as brilliant
1: for my era it really hit it was almost like the beatles at the ed sullivan theater when metallica performed inner sandman at the vmas that year on the mtv and like my whole world like my friends, people my age, it was like, holy shit, did you hear this Metallica song last night? Like, it's unreal. And, you know, very rarely do live performances on television have that kind of impact to where it just instantly takes off, especially this day and time. It'll, it'll actually never happen again. There's too many outlets now. For sure. But, you know, the VMAs is a huge deal. Actually, you know, we mentioned last week that I was in New York for my little girl doing her runway modeling. The VMAs were in town and they had the big giant moon man that's like a, a, a the Bushes. And then the VMA and Flowers, they had that sitting in Times Square. I got pictures of Callie with it. So cool. (laughs) (laughs) I should have took a photo with it, but I I didn't. I don't know. Anyway, that was such a big deal back around that era. And when they came out and played that, man, it was just, it was fucking instant. And it was like, man, this is a massive, massive hit. And of course, thirty years later, it's still standing true.
0: Yeah, for sure. For me, that is Metallica playing one. Even though I was a big fan of them already, I discovered Metallica with the release of Ride the Lightning. So back in '84, so I I was a fan of the band even before they toured with Ozzy in '86. Which, again, I still marvel over the fact that my two favorite bands had toured together in '86 for my first concert. But uh, Metallica on the Grammys and the infamous Jethro Tull beating them for best the first best metal award is the performance for me that has always stood out, Josh, as being yeah. a holy shit moment.
1: Yeah, I can see that. You know, speaking of the 30th anniversary of the Black Album, what a year, man! 1991. You have the Black Album. You have Guns N' Roses use your illusion one and two. Yep, and same I'm, day. And on it's, the exact it's... same day, you have Ozzy Osbourne no more tears. So I know you've you've dove into the No More Tears 30th anniversary re-release. How are you feeling about those tracks with the remaster on those?
0: It sounds fantastic, especially tracks like Don't Blame Me and Party with the Animals. But the whole remaster sounds great. Uh, I think the bottom end is really nice and heavy. Uh, they've done a wonderful job. It's tough because for me, and you and I talk about this a lot, I think No More Tears could be Ozzy's slickest production of his career. So they really don't have to do much to it to improve No More Tears. It's a wonderful production as is, but they definitely didn't mess anything up. It sounds fantastic. And for us, adding the demos from the No More Tears demo sessions is exciting. The Hellraiser version with Lemmy is exciting. The five live songs from San Diego. So it's a wonderful, complete package. It's great to have the the demo streaming. I actually have the original CD that was released in 92, which I always found odd that it was released after the album. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. is it, but I'm glad I've always had those tracks. And I'd like to delve in a little bit more to the demos. What do you think?
1: 100%. The demos are what's so fun for me. And having them streaming on streaming services makes them a, accessibly easy to get to. But also, I always think about the next generation. You know, when our kids are coming up and they're listening to Aussie. They're not going to find these deep cut live demo whatever that me and you have on CDs stored away in boxes. They're going to listen to whatever's online. They're going to now hear these demo versions of Mama, I'm Coming Home and Desire. And they they sound so good, man. I would bet that No More Tears is Ozzy's most expensive record. And like you said earlier, maybe Osmosis. That era, because the studio was getting very expensive in that era and people were spending a lot of time in it. But No More Tears is definitely very slick. But that said, I really like the live tracks also. I love knowing... I was thinking about this today when I was going down the road. If you release a live album and it says recorded live on the North American tour, 1992, it's cool. And I, will enjoy it. I do. We said this before. I enjoy live albums, but I love knowing time and place. It just matters to me. It just does. I would far rather hear warts and all live San Diego, June of 1992 versus live world tour, 1992, because I, I feel like it puts you in that time and spot. And you're going, man, the people in San Diego, this is this is what they heard on the No More Tours tour. This is exactly word for word how it was sung and what he said between songs. And, you know, like Speak of the Devil was recording at the Ritz in New York. And we know that, you know, we know where it was. We know when it was time stamped to a specific date or at least a month or so to where you know what, you know, where that was in time and place. And that matters a lot. So I really enjoyed those live recordings for that reason. Also, they're a little more raw than live and loud is. I think Ozzy sounds spectacular on them. But I'm like you, as far as the remaster goes, I really love the bottom end. The bass and drums really punched out on this remaster, I think. And I think the tracks you can really hear that on are really your lesser-known tracks. Zombie Stomp, Hellraiser, where they have those intros where it's kind of building a little bit and there's noises going on, you know, all those weird noises and stuff. That stuff has so much more clarity than it did on the original that those really pop out. And, of course, like we talked about last week, the 30th anniversary edition with mashing up Lemmy for Hellraiser, that was just over the top. That's something that, you know, they didn't have to do, but so thankful that they did, because that really is a kick ass version of that. It's easily the definitive version of that song now. And there's no question about it.
0: Agreed. And they actually are releasing it on vinyl as well as a single, which I've pre-ordered already from Ozzy's site. I'm super excited about uh, the fact that they did release that on vinyl because it's not on the uh, No More Tears 30th anniversary vinyl reissue. So you have to do buy it separately. So listen, I agree. Matter of fact, the two songs I really love are Desire and Mama, I'm Coming Home from the demos. Now, I definitely like the original Mama, I'm Coming Home better, but God, I was listening to it today while I was working and God almighty, that, that melody of Mama, I'm Coming Home is phenomenal. And I think it's such a popular song that it gets overlooked. Zach on his media tour has been saying how when they were writing the record and Ozzy was in the studio recording, he'd be playing them like time after time and Mama, I'm Coming Home. But the melody of Mama, I'm Coming Home, I think gets so overlooked because of how popular the song is. But if you really listen to Ozzy's melody and Lemmy's lyrics, it's just one of the most beautiful songs, I think, really, in Ozzy's career. And I can only imagine how proud Zach must be for that song. But overall, a very, very enjoyable release. I'm glad they did it. You know, there's no reason not to 30th anniversary. Hopefully, they do a 30th anniversary for Osmosis here in 2025 when that comes. And and they release a lot of that unreleased material we talked about in our first episode.
1: One more thing before we close the book on the No More Tears 30th anniversary conversation. On the live version of I Don't Want to Change the World, they play the intro music and then the band opens with I Don't Want to Change the World. I don't know why they would finagle that to make it sound like they opened with that song. But, you know, they opened with Paranoid every every night that tour, as far as I know. Do you think that was uh, enhancement or do you think they actually opened with that song that night?
0: You know, the only thing I can think of is unless they knew they were recording that night and they were like, We're only playing certain songs, but to me, it sounds like studio trickery. There's no way he did not open up with Paranoid on that tour.
1: Even the timing sounds a touch awkward, like it comes in really fast. So I feel like it's studio trickery also. Maybe it wasn't so much a studio trick for this release, but something they did 30 years ago when they were potentially considering releasing that as the live and loud version or whatever. Maybe they had tinkered with it at that point into making that the opener. Because clearly they got all these recordings from the No More Tour store that went into Live and Loud, right? Yeah, for sure. So maybe that's something they did back then when they were considering using that version for Live and
0: Loud. Yeah, I'm trying to think if Ozzy ever opened a show outside, of course, Blizzard of Oz tour from a new album song. Over the Mountain, I guess, for Diary of a Madman, he did. But not too too often. You know, even on the Bark at the Moon tour, he opened with I Don't Know. So Ultimate Centauri opened with Bark at the Moon. So uh, typically it did not happen very often but I would be highly shocked if that was a, a legit opening. Like I said, unless it was a special one-off show where they knew they were filming it and they were like, Hey, let's knock out the, the no more tears songs or something like
1: that. Yeah. Let's promote with a new song right off the top. You know, yeah. if you're thinking you're going to release a live album from the no more tears tour open with a new song, kind of come out, punching with, with a new jam. That's, you know, so that, and that could be.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, but the irony is they did release the album. Paranoid starts the
1: record. Well, and they released, you think about this too, now that I'm thinking about it harder. They released, I I Don't Want to Change the World Live as a single because it won the Grammy. So maybe the the intent was to make it the album opener for that reason of pushing it as a single.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. And to your point earlier, I will listen to these tracks way more than I'll listen to Live and Loud. I would much rather have a live version of a track just like these. They're more intriguing, more fun to listen to, makes me feel like I'm actually at the concert more than the scraped together job that live and loud is not one of my favorite live records.
1: Every time I'll take a live one night warts and all over a scrap together one anytime. No questions asked. Now the older stuff, like with Sabbath, I realized sometimes you gotta take what you can get. There wasn't as many recordings back then and stuff, but I like one night live and I even like when they title them that way, you know, those corny titles like a night at Madison Square Garden or whatever. You or know, live I at Budokan, right? Live at Budokan. Yeah. That's one of the great for me, Budokan. I know it doesn't get as much love as, as the classics like Live and Loud and Tribute, but Budokan—that's one thing I truly do enjoy about it, though—is that one night in Budokan. Yep. And you put yourself in that hall, especially when you watch the video. You put yourself in that hall for that night, you know, and and I really I enjoy that about live albums like that, and I wish they would do more like that instead of this. You know, it'd be a lot simpler too.
0: Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Or if they're gonna do a hodgepodge of release like live and loud let us know where every track is taken from
1: yeah like aerosmith bootleg back yeah. in like 76 or whatever it was seven i don't know late 70s might have been 80s i don't know hell but each song had on there and i remember walk this way i believe it was was recorded in louisville kentucky and i was so excited about that because it was a kentucky gig for that one song sure you know Anyway, are you ready for today's topic?
0: I am, man. I've been doing a lot of research. You know, it's exciting to get back into diving into Ozzy's catalog and discussing what we love so much. So our topic today is Josh and I are ranking Ozzy's album openers. So we're going to put all of the songs that open up his 11 studio albums from in order from worst to best. What about you? Are you excited?
1: I am excited. I have not done a lot of research. I spent a few hours today. Kind of going over them in my head. I'm not an overthinker because if I overthink, hell, man, we can we can swap these songs in and out all day. <laughs> There's no question. And whatever, and whatever answer I'm giving you today, it would change tomorrow anyway. So I don't overthink it too much. But I enjoy conversations like this. It's, this is what me and you do. It's what we've done for years. I got a local record store. I want to give them a shout out. They're called Mountain Music Exchange in Pikeville, Kentucky. You can go in there and have conversations like this all the time about your favorite bands. And it's just so fun to go places like that and have these kind of conversations. These lighthearted, fun, don't mean shit, (laughs) but they're fun to discuss conversations. So yeah, I'm excited for this one.
0: Yeah, for sure. I've been doing lists with my my brother since I'm a kid. We'd rank our favorite movies, our favorite Ozzy albums, our favorite Beatles songs, whatever the case may be. And doing lists like this is just part of my DNA. So once you and I started doing it, it was just like kismet man we're just you know we share the same brain
1: one thing i want to say real quick before we start this list if we have a little bit of audio technical difficulties here we are working on that there's been some things i've ordered some i think it's on my end i'll just tell the listeners and i have ordered some plugins and things they're just not here yet (laughs) so if we do cut out a little we apologize you know we're working on that and that's something we hope to have cleared up by next week yep but i think in the world we live in these days I think people are used to that anyway. Everyone's doing the live videos on the internet, and they always kind of cut. It's really Skype and Zoom. They always kind of cut and tweak a little bit anyway. They they do that when you're on these videos and meetings and stuff. And I think it's just kind of the world we live in right now. But I just want to clarify that real quick, just in case anybody's starting to get a little annoyed with that. But we're definitely working on it.
0: All right, Dan, are you
1: ready to get started?
0: I am. So what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the album opener, tell you a little bit about the song, Tell you if we think a better song would have been a better choice for that album. And then at the very end, Josh and I will do our ranking. So let's start it off with Blizzard of Oz. Josh, why don't you go first?
1: Sure. Of course, Blizzard of Oz starts off with the classic I Don't Know. I Don't Know has been a concert staple for Ozzy to open his live concert with for the past 40 years. You know, one tour here and there, he'll change it out, put Bark at the Moon in there, Paranoid. But I Don't Know is a consummate Ozzy opener that said when i play the tracks in my head and the intros i can only imagine how epic it would have been you put the needle to the vinyl and all you hear is all
0: aboard
1: (laughs) to open the record i think crazy train would have been an absolute smash as the opening track for blizzard of oz so for me i probably would have used crazy train instead of i don't know but that said, I don't know, is still an extremely strong opener. How about you?
0: Yeah, so I don't know, written by Ozzy, Bob, and Randy Rhodes. Uh, fantastic song. I think it's a perfect opener because people didn't know at that time what they were going to expect from an Ozzy record. He had just gotten kicked out of Sabbath. People thought he was already washed up by this point. And it starts with that gong, right? That little, it's very mysterious. You know, Lee is hitting that gong and then it kicks in. To what I think is the showcase of the record, Randy, with a killer Randy riff. And I just think that is a perfect opener to not only showcase Blizzard of Oz, but to, to really start and showcase Ozzy's new career. It's got a different vibe than Sabbath. He's coming right at you, telling you this is going to be different. It's going to be more upbeat. It's going to be more commercial. And I think I don't know does that perfectly. But it still rocks. Rocks more than Crazy Train in my eyes.
1: Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. And like I said, it's clearly one of his best openers. I'm sure it'll be high up the list for both of us. But, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about how I said how cool the intro for Crazy Train would have been. But at the same time, you you, you still have the rest of the song. So yeah. like if you're a new listener and you're a Sabbath fan and you rush out and buy this Aussie album and it opens with Crazy Train, you would have wondered for a minute if he was doing a disco album.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> because <laughs> Lee plays the disco beat on Crazy Train. Of course, Tommy Aldridge changed that, and went to more of a standard 4-4 on tour, Yep. which it's kind of kept ever since. Every drummer following has done that. But, you know, the studio version, if listeners have never really paid attention, listen to a live version of Crazy Train and then listen to the studio version. The drums are totally different because Lee plays more of a disco style drums. And uh, so, yeah, that would have set an odd tone (laughs) as far as that goes going forward. I I really didn't think about that part of it. But either way, I don't know. Clearly a classic opener.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I absolutely prefer the Tommy Aldridge way of playing it, shockingly, because I'm such a big fan of Lee. But for some reason, that uh, disco beat does not do it for me. All right, next up is Diary of a Madman with The Smoking Over the Mountain. Uh, written by Ozzy, Randy, Bob, and Lee Kerslake. I think this was a life-changing song for me. I would go on record to say it's the perfect song opener. Maybe one of the coolest drum intros in metal history, if not the coolest. Hot for Teachers got something to say about that, but goddamn, if that opener, opening drum by Lee at, uh, in Over the Mountain isn't perfect. Randy's riff is incredibly heavy. It's a heavier record than Blizzard. I just think it puts you right in the moment right away. Blazing guitar playing catchy vocals by ozzy he's singing higher in the stratosphere in this song because they're tuned down a half step i just think it's the perfect song opener
1: it's so funny we always joke that we share a brain so i wrote down each of the song openers on my notes here and beside it i wrote other tr- tracks that may have been used in place of that one to open the the album and beside of over the mountain mine just says perfection yeah <laughs> you just referred to it as the perfect opener like two or three times and then my note says perfection. Oh, that's only, so awesome. The only other track on that album that could have potentially even maybe opened it and it wouldn't have been near as good is SATO. You know, it's got a good energy to it. it kind of has an intro build up that would have been kind of neat, but that said, Over the Mountain, no doubt is the clear opener for that record. They got it right and there's no, there's no other song I would want there. And, you know, the drum intro, like you said, one of the most iconic drum intros of all time. Over the Mountain's perfect. Randy, like you said, blazing guitar solos. He sets his tone quick. The darker tone of the record is set quick. Ozzy sounds absolutely godlike, as you say. Yep. Uh, it, it's the perfect song for, for that album. There's no there's no other song you want to open in uh, Diary of a Madman. Next, that brings up Bark at the Moon. Dan, do you want to go ahead and go first on this one? Which track would you want to open Bark at the Moon?
0: Well... Like Over the Mountain, I think Bark at the Moon is also a perfect song opener. Maybe the most iconic riff in Ozzy history. I think it comes out with a punch. Ozzy had to make a big statement with releasing an album with obviously uh, the death of Randy Rhodes. And I think Bark at the Moon, not only it cements his legacy because it is just a smack to the face. If you're on a headbanging right away to Bark at the Moon. You're just you're not a metal fan. I think you can make an argument that Park of the Moon is the best metal hard rock song of all time. Ozzy's vocals are great. It's got that great werewolf imagery that matches the album cover. It's the title track. Just give me more of Bark of the Moon all day, every day.
1: My notes just simply say no other at all. Yeah. Bark of the Moon's the only song that could open that record. Uh, when you even go through the other tracks, none of them would work as an opener. It, it was the one and not only for that record. And like you maybe,
0: said. Maybe, maybe Center of Eternity.
1: Yeah, but that song compared, I mean, hmm. remember when we talked about this album, I said it might have been my least favorite song on the album. So, yeah, I'm not going to open Bark of the Moon with my least favorite well, song.
0: Well, I, I don't know if SATO is not middle of the pack on Diary either.
1: Yeah, but that's because Diary is like the perfect record.
0: <laughs> it really is.
1: <laughs> but no, Bark of the Moon is clearly the pick for this album. I mean, it's they, they got it right this time also. It's, it's the quintessential Aussie song. It's It's got everything you want. So yeah, it, that's clearly the one for this one. So up next, that leads us to the ultimate sin. If you don't care, I'll go ahead and go first on this one. Sure. I put a lot of time into this album in general, as far as which song should open, because honestly, the ultimate sin isn't quintessentially in my mind. What I hear as an album opener. I kind of usually want up tempo, high energy, set in a quick tone. The ultimate sin, you know, it's a little bit slower in tempo and, you know, But when I went through the album as a whole, went track by track by track, no other song really fills that spot as well as The Ultimate Sin does. You know, you don't really want to open the album with Never Know Why or Thank God for the Bomb or, you know, Shot in the Dark comes in with the bass line. That's not really a strong opener, I don't think.
0: It's not because Shot in the Dark does not even sound like a traditional Aussie song. I think it would have taken a lot of people off guard if that started the record.
1: Exactly. So once I viewed the album as a whole... I came back to the ultimate sin. I think they got it right yet again with the ultimate sin. I think that was the best song opener from that album. And I think they got it right. And it does, you know, the ultimate sin does have the sound of the record. So when you hear that song, you do know what the album's going to sound like. So I, I do think they got it right again this time. How about you?
0: Yeah, I think they did too. It's clearly the heaviest track on the record. You know, it's, it's drop D and really, really great riff by Jake. The only other one I would say is maybe lightning strikes. Cause it's got that classic riff, but the chorus isn't strong enough to start a record. So I think the Ultimate Sin is one of the best songs off this record. It has a great, great drum intro. Very basic, but it's so iconic and memorable. I hear that drum intro to Ultimate Sin. My ears automatically perk up and are just already like ready to get into the record. Following over the mountain. It's not nearly as iconic as the drum intro, but I think Ozzy was kind of setting a pattern here that he liked that drum intro to start records. I wish he would revisit that more because I don't think it ever happens again, but I think Ultimate Sin, fantastic song and a great album opener. So I would not change a thing here.
1: You know, that led me to think, we've discussed on here a few times how Ozzy has hinted at potentially remixing and remastering The Ultimate Sin. And the thought we all have instantly is, oh man, Jake's guitars would sound so good. And they would. But imagine sonically how good that intro for the ultimate scene would sound with René Castillo hitting those don
0: don don don
1: I mean that would be sonically so thick and heavy with a remaster and a remix with current standards that really would pop out of it. Like, kind of like we said about No More Tears earlier, how the, the bass and drums really popped out with the remaster. Right. I would love to hear that drum intro with the remaster off, so it would sound so damn good.
0: Yeah, and take some of that reverb off the drums. It would be yeah. way more powerful. Next up is No Rest for the Wicked with the very popular Miracle Man starting the record. Again, now we're introducing Zach Wilde to the fans. And this one is the album I really paid a lot of attention to. I was like, is Miracle Man really the best track we could have started this record with? I love this record because of how up-tempo it is. It's probably Ozzy's most up-tempo record. And I was really playing with Demon Alcohol as maybe a starter or keeping that drum tradition of Tattooed Dancer As a starter, because it's got a blazing up tempo riff. But at the end of the day, they got it right because this is about Zach Wilde. And that riff on Miracle Man is just the perfect introduction to his new guitar player and the guitar solo, which I'm not going to overlook here. I think Zach's solo in Miracle Man is one of his most iconic. And I think it's the perfect song to introduce the listener.
1: Yeah, they got it right. And you got it right. Miracle Man it's the perfect opening lick. You know, it's it's, it's catchy. The, Zach's guitar tone is instantaneously amazing. You know, everything that we said Jake's tone was kind of missing on The Ultimate Sin Zach's tone had on No Rest for the Wicked. And Jake himself has admitted that. He said in interviews, you know, he said, I get asked all the time, are you jealous of Zach? He said, the only thing I'm jealous of is Zach's tone. And I'm like, well, fuck Jake, plug a Les Paul into a JCM 800 Marshall and you'll get that tone also. I said he's yep. the Stratocaster's but And to be clear, Jake's guitar in the 80s was a Stratocaster, not a Charvel. That was the paint job. But that's beside the point. We'll, we'll discuss that more in a JK Lee episode one day. But now Miracle Man is the track. I, I, I'm like you, I tinkered with a few of the others. It is a very up-tempo record. You know, Miracle Man was definitely the standout track of the album. It has that instantaneous guitar tone and punch that just comes in so quick. And even the, the iconic Miracle Man, you know, it just, it has everything you want in an opener. They got it right yet again. I go with you guys on
0: Miracle Man. So up next is No More Tears, which we've already talked about today. So No More Tears starts with Mr. Tinker Train, written by Ozzy, Zach, and Randy Castillo. And it has that real creepy intro for like 40 seconds, which I'll be honest, I always fast forward through. And Mr. Tinkertrain is a great song. I think one of Ozzy's greatest vocal tracks for this record is Mr. Tinkertrain, but I would not have started the record with it. Matter of fact, and this is going to happen a few times here, I would have taken AVH off the record and I would have started the record with Party With The Animals right in your face. One of Ozzy's best up tempo songs. It still pisses me off to this day that it didn't make the record. And that guitar riff, you know, it starts off with that single cymbal hit. right into that guitar riff and goddamn, if that wouldn't have perked my ear if that was the opening track on no more tears
1: Whoa, dan replaces the opening track of no more tears with the b-side holy shit um <laughs> now, right. I, I know your passion for that song and i, I totally get it mr tinker train for me is one that i also kind of was like i tinkered with did you absolutely, tinker with it i tinkered with it <laughs> absolutely love the song as i know you do also it's, yeah, it's one of my sure. favorite songs in the album but As an opener, it lacks what the others had. It's got energy, but it's not like that high up tempo octane energy. In my head, when I thought, well, what would I replace it with? There was no perfect decision for me to replace it. I think I don't want to change the world could have been a good opener, slide it to the number one spot. It has a similar feel to, you know, War Pigs and a similar feel to I don't know. So yep, I think I don't, don't, don't want to change the world could have kind of, you know, give that vibe to open up the record. Other than that, the Really wasn't a lot of solid options for me. Party with the animals, yeah, it's got a lot of energy. I mean, that would be a a decent album opener. I didn't really think about that one too much. I think I would either stick with Mr. Tinker Train or go. I don't want to change the world. For the purposes of this debate, I'm going to swap and put. I don't want to change the world because that was a massive single. It's a setlist staple, which I know when you release an album, you don't know what a setlist staple is going to be 30 years down the road, like we see it, you know, in in hindsight. But I think it would have been a very like I said earlier, an I don't know-ish track to open up with.
0: Yeah, I like that track as well. It is very I don't know-ish. The, the only thing that holds me back on it a little bit, because I did consider it, matter of fact, I consider No More Tears, actually. Uh, and I'll tell you why later. But it's just a little bit too Southern in the guitar solo for me to start a record. I know I'm picking corn out of shit, but that, that one has just a little bit more of a Southern vibe to me that I wouldn't have liked as an opener.
1: You just said you're picking corn out of shit because the guitar <laughs> solo has chicken picking. That's what it is. That's Which by right. The way, if you're a guitar player, that's some fascinating shit. Try to do it.
0: It's uh, it's hard as balls. Hard as, but, hard as shit to do. But I am listening to Ozzy. You know.
1: Yeah. Now, there's no doubt that this album has a southern tone. I mean, Zach has never hid the fact that in this era of his life, he was a, a massively into his Leonard Skinner and Almond Brothers phase, and it's it's crystal clear throughout the record. I mean, hell, even No More Tears has, you know, the slide and everything going, you know, yeah. the whole. So, yeah, you know, there's no denying that. Chicken Picking, I found it kind of masterful to to be able to weave that into a hard rock album. But much like Randy wove classical music into hard rock when no one else had ever really done that. I mean, somewhat with, with Deep Purple, I guess. We'll yeah, no it.
0: question. John Lord you know, definitely influenced uh, and Richie Blackmore definitely had some classical influences.
1: Yeah, I mean Richie Blackmore, but I, I kind of like that Zach was able to weave a southern style into the Number no Tears record. But I'm from the south, so maybe that's why that connects with me a little more than it does with you, you well, damn Yankee.
0: Yeah, for sure. And if you notice the song I took off as AVH, which has that blatantly, blatantly southern influence to start the song, definitely my least like song on the record.
1: All right. So up next that brings us to Osmosis. And let's just be honest, is there any chance neither one of us have Perry Mason as the opener for this record? Zero. Zero. We've made it clear from the start how much we love this album, how much we love Perry Mason. That is the perfect album opener. It's balls to the wall, fucking heavy. That synth intro, the Perry Mason, you know, this song has so much going for it as an opener. There was no other song on this album even close to being potentially better as an opener than Perry Mason.
0: Yeah, agreed. I mean, that riff, well, first of all, it starts with that cool intro, you know, with the Perry Mason theme and Geezer's bass. And then when Zach kicks in with that riff, I knew I was listening to a classic Ozzy song right away. And Ozzy sounds venomous on the song. It is the perfect album opener. Definitely his best album opener later in his career. I couldn't imagine any other songs starting this record. It's not super fast. and I'm like you, Josh. I like my openers a little bit more up-tempo, which is why I was considering No More Tears because I thought, you know, Perry Mason works as an album opener. I wonder if No More Tears would work as an album opener because they're both classic, epic songs. At the end of the day, I went with Party With The Animals. But gosh, Perry Mason is a quintessential Aussie opener.
1: Well, to your point, you know, if, if listeners want to go back and check out our our Osmosis In-Depth episode, which was actually our first full episode, you know, I made told the story on there about how when I first heard Perry Mason that I heard my local radio station had been playing the new Aussie, and I called and requested it, and I sat by my, you know, this is what we did back in the 90s, I sat by my boombox with my record button and the cassette tape, and they're ready to record it, right? And they never even intro the song. They just started playing it. And the minute I heard that opening synthesizer, I hit fucking record. I knew it was Ozzy. I knew instantly. And that goes back to what you were saying, Amandigo. It's so quintessential Ozzy that has that sound. You know instantly it's Ozzy.
0: It's the perfect opener for this album. Next up is Down to Earth, starting with Gets Me Through, written by Ozzy and Tim Palmer. So now I'm really intrigued by Gets Me Through. I remember the first time I heard that as well. It starts off with a piano intro, which is really cool. Ozzy hadn't done that before bass slide goes and that riff kicks in. I think it's one of the best riffs on the down to earth record. Again, we're in kind of slower. It's not slow, but more groovy, heavy territory to start a record. Very similar to to Perry Mason. I think when I look at this record, there are other choices that could have worked like that. I never had maybe even facing hell, but at the end of the day, I stuck with guess me through because I just think it's a better song. And the first single
1: 100% agree. I stuck with Gets Me Through, even though it doesn't have the up-tempo that I typically like either. But I'm like you, the piano intro was very eerie and fun and cool. And the riff is so simple, but so in-your-face and heavy. The guitar solo is completely smacking. And that bridge. I forgot to mention the bridge. Oh, the bridge is just gorgeous. Gorgeous. Gorgeous bridge. Like you said, I, I think Facing Hell could have potentially been an album opener. I've always in my mind said it. you know I've said before that when I think of down to earth facing hell's the song I think of what the album sounds like I think facing hell should have been a single down to earth only had two singles which is a travesty in my mind anyway but time and Agreed. place you know 2001 hard rock was kind of on hard times so, and he was so, filming you know, the Osborne's too and the Osbournes was going on and Sabbath reunions and all kinds of shit. so I mean you know, I get it I think facing hell could have been an album opener uh, like you said that I never had would have been actually would have been a really fun album opener more than facing hell. Now that I, now that you mentioned that, that really would have been a good one,
0: but I, I, I agree with you that I never had would have been great because that riff is great. Joe Holmes wrote that riff. And to me, that sounds like classic Ozzy. Like if that would have opened the album, I think people would have been like, fuck Ozzy's back. So I could have made the argument for that one. Really? I was really, really close. I just think the chorus and the bridge is a little stronger on gets me through.
1: Totally. And, you know, we discussed on this show a lot, demos. I'll go ahead and tell you, in a world of what demos, what I like to have, the Joe Holmes version of the down-to-earth tracks would fucking be absolutely stellar for me. I'm a big Joe Holmes fan. He's my era guitar player. The first several times I saw Ozzy solo, Joe was the guitar player. He used to chat with me online, and he sent me like an autographed picture once, telling me best of luck to me and my band and sent me some pics and shit, so I like Joe and maybe about a guest I'd like to have on the show, Joe Holmes. Yeah. Oh, that'd be, he, I bet he has some stories. I would really love to hear his version of these songs. And for anyone out there that's a big Joe Holmes fan, let me throw something at you real quick. He released an album about three years ago called Pharmacos. It's like F-A-R-M-I-K-O-S. And that album is really, really fucking good. And essentially the whole album was the songs that he and Rob Trujillo had written for Ozzy that were going to be the down to earth album. And when Ozzy came back after the Sabbath reunion, he scrapped all that and wanted to start fresh. And that's what they did. But these are the songs that Joe and Rob Trujillo had written. And Rob is on the record with Joe. And also the drummer is Brooks Wakerman, who's now in Avenged Sevenfold. So that's, yeah. a killer, that's a killer fucking lineup on that album. And the singer, I can't remember his name. He's not really very famous, but he sounds very, very similar to Chris Cornell. If you are a fan of Joe Holmes, I definitely suggest you check that out. It it should be streaming. I bought all those tracks on iTunes back three or four years ago. So they they should still be on there. But really good stuff. I would love to hear those demos with Joe Holmes for sure.
0: Great point. Pharmacos is a great record. To have those would be fantastic. I'm going to tell you a quick Joe Holmes story, which I'm sure I'll share many times on the show. When I saw Joe Holmes live out here in Phoenix, it was during Mr. Crowley, and I had great seats. It's actually, Josh, the Phoenix Rising bootleg from 1996, I want to say. That is really popular. It was aired on the radio. I'm sure you have. I have it. During the solo of Mr. Crowley, he breaks a string, and I fucking was blown away. He broke a high E string, and he finished the solo in a totally different part of the neck, and he barely missed a beat, and that's when I was like, This guy is amazing because I would have shat my pants breaking a string during Mr. Crowley.
1: Oh, of all solos to break that in, you know, like, Ouch. Yeah, he was phenomenal, man. And I feel like he just never got his shake as you know, we said a similar about Gus G when he was on and I feel that way about Gus also. But especially after hearing the Pharmacos record and knowing that this is what he and Rob Trujillo had written for Ozzy, there's some smoking guitar play on that. And, you know, as great. The singer he has on there is really good. I'm sorry I can't think of his name. Being such an Ozzy fan, you hear those songs and you just think, man, I would really love to hear what Ozzy would have done on these. Like these are cool guitar songs. Definitely, Joe is just—he's kind of a recluse now. Like he doesn't—he just doesn't really get around much. He—he he didn't tour any for the pharmaco stuff. I just don't think he wants to be a, a mega really rock star, as Ozzy said about Randy Rhodes. You know, on the "Don't Blame Me."
0: Jake has that in him too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Jake 100% has that. So I don't know, but I would just really like, didn't mean to go off topic so much, but that's what we're doing. We're just, we're just discussing. I would really love to hear those demos because you know, they're out there. I mean, he's, he's a damn songwriter on those tracks. I would I would love to hear those versions with, with him. You know, you have that. I never had, you have the, uh, you know, uh, junkie and you have, can you hear them? Yeah. Which is what, the ones that Joe co-wrote that, that did make the record. So I I'd definitely like to hear those tracks, which by the way, off topic again, but can you hear them? What a great album closer.
0: Well, that will be a topic someday as well. But, yeah, it's a, it's killer. For Great sure. song. That song really reminds me of Bark at the Moon. For some reason, that just that song, not the song Bark at the Moon, the Bark at the Moon era. There's something about that song that I always go back to that on.
1: You know, I can kind of hear that. The tone, the the drums, just the the mood, the mood yeah, of the song. Y- as yes, exactly. I, I can yeah. totally hear that. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Next time I listen to it, I'll have to think about that because I, I can definitely kind of feel where you're coming from with that. So up next, we have, of course, Black Rain, which opens up with Not Going Away. How do you feel about Not Going Away as an opener?
0: I love Not Going Away as a tune. I love all these, right? We all do. I I think it's a little too slow. Got a cool riff. I love to headbang to Not Going Away. I love Ozzy's delivery. I think the bridge is a little weak with him doing all those Not Going Away voices. It's really a sign of the times. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I wouldn't have started the record with it. I would have added Nightmare, which we will get to someday. I am obsessed with this song. I think it should have opened the record. It should have been the first single from the album. It starts with that really eerie piano, kind of a throwback to what he did on Gets Me Through. It would have been two albums in a row. Comes in with that killer guitar tone, nice tempo, one of Ozzy's best choruses in the 21st century. It's a punch in the mouth. I love this song, and it's the best song from the Black Rain sessions, and I don't understand how it did not make the record. But That's what I would have started the album with.
1: Yeah. Something that I think a lot of fans feel pretty strong about is how good the B-sides for Black Rain was. I'll, I'll never understand who made the decision on what songs went on the album.
0: And it's going to be a question I will we will ask Zach when he's on this show, because it's definitely uh, on that page.
1: For sure. Like you, Nightmare is probably my favorite track of the of the whole session. We've discussed that before. It's just a great song first time i heard i remember just coming out of my skin how, how much i enjoyed that song uh, like i said before when you hear b-sides you typically don't expect as much so hearing that one love to hate all those songs i mean they're so good but that one in particular stands out but back to the topic not going away perfectly fine song i, I do enjoy it's one of my favorite from the album but yep. not a good opener at all i would have went ahead and stuck with the tradition of doing the lead single i would have went with i don't want to stop high energy It kind of has that industrial intro a little bit. So it's kind of, it's got a little bit of an intro feel to it at the beginning there. I think that would have been a good one. You want your album opener to set a tone for the album. And unfortunately, Not Going Away did that because Black Rain, by most fans, is sludgy and slow and Not Going Away is sludgy and slow. I enjoy the song as most listeners here, I'm sure do, but it does set the tone that unfortunately the album got going forward. In a negative way, which is that it's just too sludgy, slow, and it's like you're walking in mud. And I think Not Going Away set that tone from the start.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a great choice of an opener. Josh, it would have been my second choice. So if I wasn't so obsessed with Nightmare, it would have clearly been, I don't want to stop. You know, you got that great drum intro by Michael Borden. It definitely would have set the tone. It's the lead single. I would have led with Nightmare. Personally, I think it's a better song. But I think that's a great choice and better than Not Going Away as a starter.
1: Okay, so that leads us to Scream, which of course opens with Let It Die. How do you feel about Let It Die as opener
0: for Scream? I don't really get it, to be honest. I think it's a cool song. I know he was maybe going for an epic. Gosh, I think he could have definitely chose a couple of other songs And Let It Die. I don't think it set the tone for the album very well. It has that whole verse section where everything kind of dies down and ozzy's almost rapping a little bit it's it's definitely intriguing to me why they started the record with it i actually would have started with let me hear you scream it's got a way killer riff it's up tempo it's the lead single like we talked about i think it would have got the party started much better it would have maybe cemented let me hear you scream as a classic because it is a great song i think people think it's too poppy but I think it's got some great, great guitar playing in it by Gus. It would have been a much, much better album opener.
1: I'll have a lot more energy for sure. Let it die. Like you said, almost is rappy. I think they were trying to do, I do think they were trying to do an epic with that, like you said. But I also think he was trying to do a play on words like, uh, like I just want you. I just want you as an album, as an album opener either. So that just simply isn't going to work as an album opener. I think Let Me Hear You Scream is probably the better choice. There's really not a whole lot of songs on this album that do have a great album opener tone, though. Let Me Hear You Scream is probably the only other one really that could have done it.
0: I, you know, I considered Soul Sucker. Obviously, that was the original title of the record until the fans went crazy because it was spelt Sucker.
1: <laughs> but, <laughs> but And you you instantly picture like Booker T, Sucker.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I wouldn't have minded Soul Sucker, but it's just, it would have been kind of like opening with not going away. It's a great song. I actually really like Soul Sucker. Just a little too dreary, and a little sludgy. I, I think Let Me Hear You Scream is definitely the best choice.
1: As you were talking I was thinking, well, that would have been the same as opening up with Not Going Away. And then you physically said that. I agree 100%. It's a great song, but that's not a good opener either. It it has to be Let Me Hear You Scream. If not, Let It Die probably is the second best option, but I just don't think it's a good second best option.
0: I Want It More would have been great if the vocals had better melodies. I just think it's one of the weaker songs off the record vocally, but maybe one of the best musically. I think they should have probably pushed Ozzy a little bit more for a catchier melody truthfully on i want it more but that one musically had everything to be an album opener
1: but it has that almost no more tears like bridge in it where it kind of breaks down and goes to the piano section for a moment and stuff before it kicks back in i think they did have big intentions for that song but i'm like you they kind of let the vocals and the melody slide a little bit on that one it's it's very rare that i hear these songs and say well ozzy kind of dropped the ball on that one Right. On that song, I think it kind of does lay at his feet on that one. That's one of my lesser favorites also. And it, it really comes down to the vocals because the music's pretty solid. And like I said, it has that No More Tears epic sound to it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't quite have it. So, yeah, that said, I think we both agree. Uh, Let Me Hear You Scream probably should have been the opener for Scream.
0: All right. We finish up with Ordinary Man. It starts with Straight to Hell. Josh, what do you think?
1: Nailed it. Straight to Hell is the perfect opener for Ordinary Man. That song has extremely high energy. It's very high tempo. It has the sound of the album. It's catchy lyrics. It, they're sing-alongable lyrics. You know, like I said a few episodes back on the Ultimate Ozzy set list, I think it would be a good live song. It has that War Pig style vocal where kind of like No More Tears and, you know, where it cuts out and then Ozzy sings and it cuts, you know, then the guitar and drums come back in, you know, like I Don't Want to Change the World we talked about earlier does that. I think Straight to Hell is a solid opener. Scary Little Green Men possibly could have been a good opener for the album. But Straight to Hell, of course, was the second single released. So it it was a single. You you typically want a single in those spots, I think. And to me, they nailed it with this one. What do you think?
0: 100% agreed. You know, it starts with that cool choir. You know, the first time I heard that, I was like, oh, that's really, really cool. And then it comes in with a riff. I mean, one of the things I'm going to harp on this podcast is... I think later Ozzy suffers from lack of riffs. So I was just pleasantly happy to hear a goddamn guitar riff. And it's a great riff, you know, written by Ozzy, Chad Smith, Duff McKagan, and Andrew Watt. I think uh, Straight to Hell, fantastic song opener. I'll tell you what sets it apart for me. Another great bridge. Just great, great uh, breakdown on the bridge. Great guitar solo by Slash. It's everything you really want in a song opener because it, it rocks, it's up tempo, and it takes you on a journey. And great lyrics, Ozzy's back, and he's straight to hell.
1: Yeah. I can't believe I forgot to mention the, the choir opening. Of course, that's perfect for an, for an album opener. And you mentioned the, the killer riff. Let's just go ahead and throw that out there. Written by Duff. The riff right. was written by Duff McKagan. So that's, that's a cool riff. And then, of course, on the bass line, Duff plays a little bit. There's a little Easter egg on that track for listeners who have not noticed it. Go back and listen to Straight to Hell. On the bass line is this opening. Duff is playing a little bit of an ode to Children of the Grave.
0: Big time. I think there's a Children of the Grave ode in Soul Sucker, too, if you listen to that. Straight to Hell, fantastic. Duff is a great player. Uh, You know, we're going to do our Ordinary Man album here sooner than later episode, but I think it's a perfect way to start it. And if you look at it, I was like you, Josh, the only other song that I could even contemplate would have been Scary Little Green Men. I like Scary Little Green Men better, quite frankly, as a track, but I think Straight to Hell is the better opener. 100%
1: 100% agree. Listen, we can talk about anything when it comes to Ozzy Osborne. We've been going forever on, on just this topic. We thought this might be a short episode, but it's never a short episode when it comes to us because we enjoy the topic so much. That said, are you ready to begin our list and rank from 11 to 1? Which I am. We think? To be clear, for this, we are going with the album opener as it was on the CD, not our choice.
0: Correct. I'm going to give the proverbial... Listen, I love and Josh loves all 11 of these songs. Something had to be last. Something had to be first. But at the end of the day, this would make a great best of list, truthfully. But I love all of these songs. Just we had to put them in order.
1: Shit, yeah. All right, man. Do you want to go ahead and kick off first at 11?
0: You got it. So number 11 for me is Let It Die from Scream.
1: Yeah, not too far off from what I have. My number 11 is not going away. it's, it's not enough energy in that one.
0: Wow. I, yeah, I was a... Yes, that that surprises me that Let It Die is not at the bottom of your list. Well, like
1: I said, Not Going Away set the tone. You know, Let It Die, Scream does have energy. Not Going Away set the tone for that whole album to not have energy. And I I think I'm putting it all at the feet of this track.
0: Yeah, I think maybe I looked at it as I just like the song Not Going Away a little bit better. But Not Going Away is my 10th choice. So what the fuck am I complaining about? Exactly. (laughs) Number 10 is Not Going Away.
1: And I Um, knew that and the listeners knew that. My number 10 is Let It Die. So there <laughs> exactly. <you. laughs> now it starts to get interesting, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, no question.
1: <laughs> All right, what do you have at number nine?
0: All right, number nine for me, as much as I love it, is Straight to Hell from Ordinary Man. It's a great song, but at the end of the day, these are Aussie song openers, and if you look at the canon of songs that are above it, I just couldn't move it up the list.
1: Number nine for me may surprise you. Mr. Tinkertrain, love the song, but as an album opener, it just doesn't quite live up to what some of the others do, in my opinion. So what do you have for number eight?
0: My number eight is Gets Me Through from Down to Earth. I think it's a great song. Very, very solid album opener. I have it at number eight.
1: Number eight for me is also Gets Me Through. As we said earlier, it's it's a solid opener, but it's not necessarily everything you want in an opener. Yeah, number eight, right in the middle of the pack, like you said.
0: My number seven is Mr. Tinkertrain from No More Tears. And I know I would have replaced it as an album opener, but at the end of the day, it's a great song. It just goes to show you how strong of a song an album No More Tears is. That's my number seven, Mr. Sink Train.
1: Number seven for me is The Ultimate Sin. Like I said earlier, it's not really what I typically look for in an opener, but it's a great song. So number seven, middle of the pack, I'm, and I'm happy with that decision. Wow. So it brings us to number six.
0: Yeah, my number six is Miracle Man. Great opener. I think it showcases Zach perfectly. Fantastic tempo. Miracle Man.
1: Number six for me, also Miracle Man. So we're definitely on a similar pace here. So number five for you.
0: My number five is The Ultimate Sin. I love the drum intro. I love the energy of, of how heavy it is. It's probably one of my favorite songs off of the album as well. So I think it's a great album opener.
1: Number five for me is Straight to Hell. All the reasons we discussed earlier, it's a great song to open an album with. And I think it's a really solid album opener. So I'm going with Straight to Hell. You have Straight to
0: Hell over The Ultimate Sin as an album opener. I do. Uh, That that was a shocker. Good choice. I thought
1: that might be. I thought that might be.
0: All right. My number four is I Don't Know off of Blizzard of Oz. I think it's so iconic. Number four for me is
1: also I Don't Know. Like I said, I might have replaced it with Crazy Train if I were sequencing the album myself. But that said, I Don't Know is the iconic Ozzy Everything opener. So you can't you can't go wrong with I Don't Know. That brings us to number three, Dan.
0: Yep, top three. My third is Perry Mason, one of Ozzy's best songs and one of Ozzy's best album openers. the The top two are Untouchable. So Perry Mason opening Osmosis really sets the tone and it shows the strength of how beautiful and aggressive that song is it's just one of the most perfect album openers there is
1: absolutely Perry Mason's number three for me also like you said one and two are kind of set in stone there's a battle there between one and two for me I had to really think about those two and, and consider all you know facets of it and all sides of it but Perry Mason for me at number three was very solid I felt very comfortable with that one it's just the it was the perfect song to open that album So that brings us to number two. So we have two songs left. We have Bark of the Moon and Over the Mountain. Go ahead and tell us which do you have at number two? And go ahead and tell us number one because we'll obviously know at that point
0: anyway. Okay. So listen, this is as close as it gets. These are two songs that probably rank in my top five all-time Aussie songs. I could literally switch on a daily basis which way I go with these. They're both iconic. Clearly, his two best album openers, no question. Today. My number two is Over the Mountain off Diary of a Madman. Beautiful, beautiful drum intro by Lee. Just, it sets the tone. And my number one, Bark at the Moon off of Bark at the Moon, because I think Ozzy had to really establish himself as an artist again because of the death of Randy and the turmoil with Bob and and Lee, of course. I think Bark at the Moon, you couldn't have asked for a better song with what he was going through at that time. So I'm going to give Bark at the Moon the nod.
1: Bark at the Moon could be ozzy's most important song in a lot of ways in a whole lot of ways that's why i'm comfortable putting it at number two on my list i go bark at the moon number two for all the reasons you say but to me the best ozzy album opener in his solo career is over the mountain that drum intro absolutely kicks balls every time i hear it i still get chill bumps from it randy's playing is just absolutely remarkable his guitar solo he plays you know Coincidentally, plays a little bit of the Black Sabbath intro before just shredding yeah. into that, that searing that, guitar solo. That
0: tritone, right?
1: Yeah, man. And then the dive bombs and bends at the end of the solo. This is such a good solo. Ozzy sounds like a god for me. Over the Mountains, number one, Bark at the Moon, too. But, man, you can't go wrong with either one of those. I really battled those two songs in my head for it. And like I said earlier, I don't really overthink things a lot. Those two I really thought hard on for a long time before I made the decision to put Over the Mountain at number
0: one. Yeah, I think it's a great selection. I told you specifically Over the Mountain is the song that made me want to pick up the guitar, hearing Randy's guitar solo like that. So I-, I can't argue it. I think Over the Mountain is fucking brilliant. Bark at the Moon is brilliant. They're clearly one and two. Just today, I have Bark 1 you have over the mountain one. And I yep. think they're both wonderful choices.
1: And tomorrow you could have over the mountain one and I could have bark one. So <laughs> that's
0: exactly right.
1: That's, it's all, Facts are optional with us from a standpoint of our opinions, because it always interchanges. We love all this stuff so much as we know you, the listeners do too. If you're listening to this show, we know you're a diehard like we are. It just depends on your mood that day. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, this, this is a fun exercise, kind of fun to break down. It can be overlooked in the general public, how important sequencing of an album is.
0: Well, we both have done it so we know how important it is.
1: Absolutely. And it it means so much. And I'll tell you, as much as I I, I, will throw this out there, as much as we bragged on Straight to Hell being the perfect album opener for Ordinary Man, they fucked up when they put It's a Raid as the closer. It clearly should have been Holy For Tonight. When when that song ends and you have the, the strings from Abbey Road and the choir and everything, whatever all they got going on there, that would have been the perfect album closer. And I don't know how they missed the boat on that. Uh, it's the it's a raid really could have even been a bonus track in my opinion
0: agreed great. i think they also missed the boat by putting all my life and goodbye as two and three if you want to know the truth the sequencing is not great on that record but they did get straight to hell right
1: exactly exactly a yeah, goodbye at three when it's clearly the weakest track on the album I mean, almost anyone you talk to will agree that that's the weakest track. I don't know why they put that up so high. But sequencing is very important, and the album opener is extremely important. It's the first—I mean, aside from the first single, which often the album opener is the first single, it's the first impression of the record. And you you got to set the tone, man. That that opening track has to set the tone for the record.
0: I would have went Straight to Hell, Scary Little Green Man, and Under the Graveyard. One, two, three, Ordinary Man, four.
1: Yeah, it's hard to argue. I mean, they definitely needed some energy up front. And then in the back end, like I said, you know, Holy Tonight would have been the perfect closer. I, I, just, I don't know how anyone could hear that song and not go, man, how yeah. epic to end on, on that moment. It ends, and those notes are just holding out. And to this day, the album's been out for, you know, two years now. And I still get chill bumps when I hear that, that ending. It's I know that's a track that you and I both personally yeah. just absolutely adore.
0: Yeah, we'll and, talk about uh, that when, in our episode, but I, I cried absolutely. the first time I heard it.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. And I heard it before Dan did. And I was like, oh, Dan is going to shit when he hears this song because <laughs> it's just so Beatles-esque. It's it, it, it it's so Beatles. And-, and, and
0: the first time I heard it, I thought he was singing about his own death. Not necessarily. I didn't realize at the time that it was about a death row inmate, you know, until I re-listened to it a few times. So, yeah. you know, yeah. but some of those lyrics you could take. I think personally, I think when Ozzy came up with those little lyrics and songs, he was talking about himself. And I believe, you know, his co-writers probably moved it to that other direction.
1: I agree with that totally for the most part. But I do think on that topic, Ozzy had been watching a documentary about Death Row. Yeah, I recall reading that he had been watching a documentary about Death Row. And that's kind of what brought it on. Similar with Scary Little Green Man. I think he'd been watching a documentary about aliens.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <So, laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I can't wait always, to talk
0: about Ordinary Man. You know, what a great yeah, record.
1: Yeah. You know, a, a little tidbit. I sent this to you on the internet the other night. I was watching the you know, the Osbournes Want to Believe on History Channel or Discovery, I, whatever channel it was on. I don't watch it. Yeah. They were looking at alien footage and Ozzy kind of in the jokingly voiced you know, we come in peace and... It never occurred to me on that song when you hear that on the bridge, that's actually Ozzy doing that.
0: Yeah, I, just, I always I thought it was Ozzy. It's funny, especially the ending too.
1: I um, don't know why. I just assumed it wasn't, but when he did that on the show the other night, like it sounded identical to it does on to how it does on the album. So it's like, oh right. wow, that's, that is Ozzy doing that. I don't know. Just, I should have known it was. I just never thought about it. I guess.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like I didn't realize it was Ozzy saying flaps and no bow movies when I was a kid. You yeah. know. You know, still silly stuff like that for sure.
1: All right, Dan, this was a fun episode, man. Definitely looking forward to the next topic. Well, you know, at some point, we want the fans to reach out to us and interact. Let us know what you would like to hear us discuss. You know, what topics are on your guys' mind? What would you like to hear us discuss in the show? We're definitely open to anything. You know, Black Sabbath, it don't have to be even Ozzy, it could be Zach Wild, it could be, you know, anything like that. Randy Rhodes, Bob Daisley, Tony Iommi, Bill Ward, it doesn't matter. Reach out to us on social media and let us know what you guys would like to hear us talk about.
0: And obviously, please, please, please send us your rankings of what you would have in order as Ozzy's best song openers.
1: And also, would like to give a shout out, of course, to Bods Mayhem Hour, John the Bod. He's kind of been laid up in the hospital for the past few days, so uh, got a John. Past. Yeah, all the best, John. And of course, the Deep Dive Podcast Network and all those guys over there who keep promoting our shit. And we try to promote theirs also, you know, definitely a team atmosphere and we appreciate their support. So give them guys a shout out. But other than
0: that, Dan, anything else before we go? Nothing. Thanks for the topic. It was a great, great conversation.
1: All right. See you guys next week. (laughs)
0: My monitors are fucking cranked. Absolutely.
1: Valerie's been bitching at me lately that I've been talking a lot louder. She's, she's convinced I'm going, which I am going deaf.
0: I think my right ear is going more deaf than my left. Like, even just now, when you called during Skype, it was really loud in my left ear, and I always think my headphones are unbalanced, but I, yeah. think, I'm go- I think my right ear has just gone deaf. Probably. Yeah.
1: I'm yeah. in your boat, dude. She's been nagging me, and I told her, I said, Valerie... Maybe it's not that I'm going deaf, but maybe it's because I'm, I'm doing a podcast now and I'm I'm just my voice. is I'm learning to pronounce my voice a little bit and just kind of, you know, bring it out. And maybe that's just naturally happening in life. Also, you know, that sure. I'm speaking more and it and it could be for real. I mean, that could be it. I don't know.
0: Look at you throwing your weight around that you're a podcast guy now. Yeah, that's man. A <laughs> little exactly.
1: podcast swag.